Okay. So after listening to those announcements, um, I only have one question for you. Are you clickable? <laughs> We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 2. All right. Spiritual counterfeits. And if somebody would like to read, you're more than welcome to. We often have a reader, but um, anybody want to stand up and read? Otherwise, I gladly will. We're going to start in chapter 1 with verse 19, because that's where the thought begins. And then it continues into chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 1, the first word is but. So he... It's on a theme, and then he contrasts that theme. And the theme that he's on is that the word of God is reliable. But, so we start in verse 19. So we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you, in the Greek, um, Webb, you might, you might know this, in, in, in the Greek, do you know who you refers to? No, no, no. It, re it refers to you. <laughs> so you refers to us, right? Refers to us. So we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you, meaning me, will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Above all, now this is a guy who's dying. And he wants to remind you of some things. And above all, he wants to remind us of this. Above all, you must understand. Do you talk to people like that? I mean, he's serious here, right? You must understand this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but the prophets, though they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many, in the Greek, many means a lot. <laughs> many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So because they are false, what's the amazing here is that a lot of people in the body of Christ won't be able to see that they're false, but outsiders will. Isn't that interesting? That sometimes on the inside, people aren't seeing that they're false prophets and false teachers, but people on the outside easily detect it. And it brings it into disrepute. They go, what's wrong with those people? In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. If any of you are reading the 
New American Standard or the King James, the New King James, it probably says, we'll make merchandise out of you. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So um, a little bit of the background, Peter told us a little bit earlier what spiritual life looked like because he's talking about the word of God and then he's contrasting the word of God with false prophets and false prophecies and false teachers. But he reminds us of what real spiritual life looks like because what these guys are bringing is not real spiritual life. It's a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And he tells us that real spiritual life is this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And so um, he's really summing up real spiritual life. Now, this isn't how you get saved. You don't get saved by being all of these things. But when you come to Christ, you start to become these things as you depend on him. So real spiritual life is demonstrated when we love, when we're kind, when we have self-control, when we persevere, when we have faith, and when we're good to each other. And so just as there's a real spirituality that's defined by these things, there's also a counterfeit spirituality And he tells you the spirituality of these false prophets and these false teachers, what they're about and what they're like. And so he's going to teach us about the counterfeits. In order for something to be counterfeit, there needs to be something that's real, right? So here's what we'll see in this little portion. We'll see that there are these um, false prophets that claim to be Christian. That with false, made-up experiences, offering false freedom based on false promises. So Peter's writing this. He's ready to die. Why do I have a suit jacket on? People probably know, like, when I have a suit jacket on, it usually means something. What does it mean? Yeah, I had a funeral this weekend. That's right. And uh, at a funeral, a friend of mine, a guy who's been in my house weekly, a pastor, who's been in my house weekly um, for about the last 18 months, uh, died, died of COVID, died of COVID. And he was, uh, he was a pastor. He also was a Lyft driver. Anybody use Lyft? Nobody? He, um, <laughs> this guy, uh, him and I were working on some evangelism stuff together. That's why we used to get together. And this guy, massive evangelist, just loved it, loved to share Christ. And Peter here is saying that he knows he's ready to die. This guy, he, uh, he, he used two lines in his car when he would witness to people. In the last year, he led 44 people to Christ in his car. 44 people. And he was telling me a story of one girl that he led to the Lord because he would use two lines. One of them he would use, did you know that God loves you? And the second one he would use is, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? Just ask those two questions. And he would ask people that in the car. And he told me about this one girl, teenage girl, got in the car, sort of distraught. He could tell she sat in the back. When she sat in the back, she threw her head down and her hair just fell in her face. And he said, do you know that God loves you? And he said, she threw her head up. And she said to him, why did you say that? And he said, I said that because God loves you. 
and I want you to know that God loves you. She said, I woke up this morning, and I told God that if you don't do something for me today, I'm going to kill myself. Wow. He led her to the Lord. <laughs> so life and death, and Peter knows that he's going to die. He knows it. And as he knows that he's going to die, he's telling us some last things that he wants to make known to us. If you knew you were dying, what would you, what would you say? What messages would you convey? Peter's leaving his last words. And last week we talked about that, talked about the last words of some people. Knowing he's going to die, he's encouraging us. Peter knows he's going to die two ways. It closes in on this guy. Because when Jesus had risen from the dead, he met the disciples, he met the apostles, and he's cooking fish for them. <laughs> I love that. And he tells Peter, those guys are still arguing with each other, he tells Peter that, he said, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you would go wherever you wanted to go. He said, when you're older, Somebody else is going to take you and they're going to bring you where you don't want to go. And then it says, he, he said this, speaking of the kind of death that Peter would die. So Peter was walking around with this death sentence over him, knowing that he was going to die some cruel and unusual death, because Jesus told him that. Imagine that. You ever say to the Lord, Lord, speak to me. You sure? Yes, speak to me, Lord. Well, when you were young, you used to go where you wanted to go. But, but when you're older, you know, you're going to die this really crazy kind of death. Oh, thanks, Lord. You got another word? Um, so he carries that his whole life. And he never really knows when that's going to happen. But in this letter, somehow, he knows that it's close. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, the time for my departure is near. Somehow, God had communicated to those guys, and those guys knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, so much so that they wrote it down that their death was impending. They knew it. With impending death, Peter's going to tell us some of these things. But watch what he does. He says, we have the prophetic word as something completely reliable. What's the prophetic word? He's talking about the Bible, the word of God. He had just talked about this amazing spiritual experience he had. He was up on the mountain with Jesus. They call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter and John up there. And while they're there, they, Moses shows up. Moses from the past is there. Jesus is transformed into his future glory, the Jesus that you see in Revelation. And so you have on that mountain the past, the present, because they're there in the moment, in the future, all there together which tells us something about physics and how the kingdom of God supersedes physics because the past, the present, and the future are all there together. Then Peter hears God's voice audibly from heaven. What an experience. What an experience. Peter said it was an experience. And he said, even with that experience, I want you to know that we have the word of the Lord made more sure in the Bible, in the Word of God. So even though those things are reality, even though those things are true, this is more sure. And Peter say, says that Jesus had told him, right, that he was going to die, and now he's telling him something else. Jesus is still communicating with him. But this is the most sure word. What is the nature of authority? 
It's the Word of God. I have in my study 300 linear feet of books. I'm getting rid of all of them within the next six months. So if you want books to read or for, or for your fire, come over and get it. So <laughs> whatever, I'm just getting rid of them. And what I have on the top, on the very top, I found the place that is the highest of all of those books that are stacked. I put the first Bible I ever read through. Because the Bible is higher than the opinions of all of those people. Amen. And there's great people in there. There's people from history. There's people that are amazing. There's people with wonderful testimonies. But the Bible is like way higher than what any of those people have written. And then I used to write quite a bit uh, for Christian publications. And I've saved a lot of those publications. And I put those on the very bottom because that's where they belong. <laughs> and this is over everything. This is the authority over everything. And what's the nature of authority? It's higher than personal experience. Peter has personal experiences. And he's not discouraging personal experiences. But he said that this is more reliable than your personal experiences. This is more reliable than the word on the street. This is more reliable than prophets and spiritual leaders. This is more reliable than this pulpit. This is more, re more reliable than anything. It's the word of God. And Peter wants to establish the authority of the word of God and then contrast it to that of the false prophets. That's what he does. This is the authority and these guys are false. And you need to learn to see the difference because many times in the church, people can't see the difference, but the world can see the difference. Is that amazing? How does that happen? So the nature of authority, is it personal experience? Is it the word on the street? Is it the prophets, the spiritual leaders, the pastors? Or is it the word of God? Which one, which one is it? It's the word of God. The word of God. So let's just talk about, let's just talk about the word of God for a moment. Because Peter just said you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by a prophet's own interpretation. But it was God. God breathed. And so the word of God itself answers every question that anybody has. It answers the question of origins. Where did I come from? It answers identity. Who am I? Who am I? I'm just figuring me out. I love to read the Psalms. The psalmist is often asking, like, who am I? <laughs> Why am I here? What's my purpose? And what happens when I die? Like my friend used to ask, do you, know, do you know where you're going to go when you die? What will happen when you die? And, and why do we believe this? There is a reality that we believe this experientially because we have the witness of the Holy Spirit and we just know that we know that we know. When you're born again, did you realize that you got something new? You got a knower? That inside of you, you've got a, that I know that I know that I know. How do you know? I don't know how I know. I just know that I know that I know. How do you know you're saved? I don't know. I just know that I know that I know because I got a knower. <laughs> There's that reality. And nobody can take that from you. But beyond that, beyond my knower, beyond that, there's the testimony and the witness of Jesus. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. And you have the witness of the prophets themselves that the things that the prophets said have come to pass. 300 prophecies about Jesus have come to pass. Now, some of those prophecies wrote prophecies about Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Because there's another 300 about his second coming. He will come again. And those prophecies are mathematically impossible to be fulfilled by any human who has ever existed or any human who would exist if history goes on for several more thousand years. And 
population explosion happens. It's impossible. You have the witness of the apostles. The apostles themselves died with the testimony that they saw Jesus resurrected. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They could have saved their lives if they would have just said, no, he did not rise from the dead. We made that up. Well, all of them died still claiming they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus in the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Peter, just like Jesus said, he was crucified upside down. What a strange and unusual death. Crucified upside down. Andrew, he was crucified. Matthew, he died by the sword. John, oh, sorry, they all didn't die uh, martyr's death. John, he, the old man, was put in burning oil. They thought they would kill him in that, but this wrinkled, leathery old man didn't kill him. And so they banished him out onto the island of Patmos. Well, um, Jesus put him on Patmos because John wrote the Gospel of John, beloved by people. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles of love, but he wasn't done yet. And so when he gets on this island, this desert island for all intents and purposes, banished out there, he gets the book of Revelation. God wasn't finished with him. James, the son of Alphaeus, he was crucified. Philip was crucified. Simon, he was crucified. Thaddeus, he was killed with arrows. What an awful way to die, people shooting arrows at you. James, the brother of Jesus, he was stoned to death. Thomas, they put a spear through him. Bartholomew, he was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, his sword. The apostles were witnesses to the resurrection, to the word of God. They swore that this thing was true all the way to the end. The witness of history in archaeology. We go to Israel, and if you've gone to Israel with us, you know that sometimes we're going somewhere and you see these big mounds, look like mountains. They look like, they really look like landfills that have been covered over. They're called tells. And what tells are, they're villages that existed at one time and the soil has just come up over them. What the archaeologists know because of the Bible is they can usually tell you what's underneath there before they even dig. Because the Bible is so accurate in everything that it describes, the archaeology of the Bible has proved the Bible over and over again. For centuries, they said there was no such thing as Pontius Pilate because there was never any evidence of it. And all of the Roman writings and all of the people that wrote in Rome about other leaders and other emperors and other governors, they said there's no mention of Pontius Pilate. That Pontius Pilate takes such a central role in the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus, he says it's just made up. There's no such guy. Never existed. Well, I have a picture from Caesarea by the Sea of a little piece of a monument with my family sitting on top of it and it's to Pontius Pilate because 30 years ago when they were excavating, they found evidence that there was Pontius Pilate. Well, you should have just believed the Bible to begin with. <laughs> Pontius Pilate was definitely Pontius Pilate. We were going to go to Israel last year, but uh, we didn't. We might go next year. Going to Israel is amazing to just see those things. So there's some facts about the Bible. The Word of God. This is the Word of God that Peter is trying to tell us, listen to this authority because there will be false prophets among you. 
It's a promise. Put that on your refrigerator magnet. There will be false prophets. There will be false teachers. The question is, am I listening to one? Am I following one? And he's going to talk about deception. And we like to say around here that the nature of deception is you don't know you're being deceived. So am I following one? I don't know. I guess I could be because the nature of deception is I don't know. So I need to keep myself sharp. I need to keep myself in the word of God. The scripture that we have, the scripture you can hold in your hand, the scripture that's on your phone, took over 1,600 years for it to be written and compiled. Forty authors, kings, prisoners, shepherds, doctors, rabbis, tax collectors, military generals, fishermen, politicians, written in different places, written in jail. What do you base your life on? I base it upon a book that a guy wrote in jail. Um, <laughs> palaces written in jail, written in palaces, written in fields, written on the roads, written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It takes place in Europe, Asia, and Africa. The Bible deals with every issue in life, and it speaks of many controversial issues, yet always without contradiction. Inside of the book, it contains history, it contains law, it contains medical information, poetry, songs, biographies, correspondence. Like now, <laughs> now we're being told, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Good for you. Keeps away the disease. Oh, is this like a 2021 thing? Well, you know what the Bible says? Oh, wash your hands. <laughs> Keep away some disease. <laughs> the, the, the Bible is the accurate archaeological book of its time. It's a book of prophecy. Uh, the Bible's changed the lives of millions of people, even though it's been criticized by thousands. Changed my life. 39 books. But here's the promise. False teachers will appear. So he just talked about the Word of God in chapter 1. But, see, there should not be a chapter division there. Peter didn't put those chapter divisions in there. Somebody did that for you so that we could follow along this morning. Otherwise, it would be difficult for us to read the letter. So it's spaced out for us. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Promise. That's a promise. So we should assume that there are false teachers right now telling us false things about Jesus. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So we should be careful. There's a guy who stood on this platform. Lawrence Sanford is his name. Anybody know who Lawrence Sanford is? His mom and dad, they, they write books about emotional healing and how you can receive emotional healing through Jesus. And, and they write a lot about family of origin and a lot about childhood hurts and you know how Jesus can heal all of that stuff. Well, Lawrence spoke from this platform. Over the last couple of years, he got himself involved in being a prophet of sorts. And he had all kinds of ideas, 
all kinds of things that he was saying about what would be happening now in the country and what would, and what would have happened with the election and made all of these prophecies. And you know what? He was 100% dead on wrong. 100%. And to his credit, he did a rather lengthy video apology. In fact, it was so long, I couldn't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lauren, for doing that. I appreciate that, but it's long. And one of the things that he, there was another guy from Bethel, did the same thing. He, uh, he made some prophecies over the last couple of years. And you know what? His prophecies were 100% dead on wrong. He apologized, too. And when he apologized, he said he started getting death threats for his apology. Now, why would people do that? It's easy to understand why people would do that. Anybody ever been scammed? You probably won't admit to it if you have. That's how the scammers get away with it. Because we're so embarrassed that we were scammed, we don't tell anyone. And that's why they continue and continue and continue, because we're too embarrassed to say that we were scammed. And why would people give death threats to a prophet who said things that didn't come to pass? Because we're too embarrassed to say that we were wrong, and we insist that we're right even when the evidence tells us that we're wrong. We're interesting creatures that pride is at our very core, and we just won't let go of it. Well, that guy apologized too. And then he, he was getting so much negative feedback that he took the apology down. He had it up on YouTube. He took it down. And then he decided two months later, I'll put it up again because I was wrong. And both of these guys, now this is interesting. Both of these guys said, I need to figure out how I got so disconnected from the head. How did that happen? These are good guys. How did I get so disconnected from the head? And I need to take some time. Another guy, his name is Jeremiah Johnson. Got one million followers. This week he's deleting his one million followers. Because he'd been making these prophecies about things that were going on and things that were going on in the country and things that would be happening. And he was wrong, wrong, wrong. And when he told people that he was wrong, they wouldn't accept that he was wrong. Even though our, their eyes clearly tell him that, he's, that, that we're wrong. And, and he's, he's on a rampage about we need to get it right. I got it wrong and we need to get it right. So if it can happen to Lauren, who stood right here, stood right where I'm standing, then it can happen to me. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. It can happen to any of us. Why? Because there's certain things we just want to believe. Why do scams work? Because they meet a real or perceived need. Like what? Like I could use more money. And people drag you into it. And you buy into it. Why do false prophets and false uh, teachers succeed? Because we're spiritual creatures with a longing for a touch from the true and the living God. And we want everything that God has. So it's not the fact that people get taken in can be because they're hungry for God. They're hungry for more. They're hungry to know. They're hungry to be on the inside. But the false teachers, you see, they know this. They know our needs, but the false teachers, the counterfeit teachers, the false prophets have targets. You are a target. They spew their stuff on the innocent. They spew their stuff on the pure. They spew their stuff on the unsuspecting. They spew their stuff on the hungry. And they have a message. That's what a prophet does, brings a message. And so these guys 
are bringing false messages. They have our ears, what Peter is telling us. They have something that's appealing. Usually, it's something you want to hear. <laughs> it's something you want to hear. The book of Jeremiah is a complete study in this. Jeremiah is the prophet, the prophet in exile. Peter writes to the exiles. Peter's hearkening back to Jeremiah all the time. Exiles, exiles. In Jeremiah, the prophet to the exiles, he said, I know the plans that I have for you. 29.11, I love this. It's a great verse. I know the plans that I have for you, plans not for your harm, but for your future and to give you a hope. Well, if you read before then, what he tells them is this. Listen, you're in Babylon. You're in Babylon. What do you need to do? He says, you need to settle down. What do you do when there's craziness around you? That's why, that's why the voices are so popular because it's so crazy. You want somebody to sort out the craziness. You want somebody to bring some clarity. You ever think that God might let us go through times that are crazy? That he's got stuff that's going on? That maybe he hasn't given all the information yet? That maybe what we need to do is hunker down and believe in the dark, what we knew to be true in the light? Jeremiah, settle down. I think that's the word. I'll be a prophet. Settle down. Settle down. Just settle down. Is the rest of that prophecy, this too will pass? I don't know. Could be this too will get worse. But settle down. And he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what grows from them. Have kids that have kids. And pray for the peace of the city that you're in. Because if that city prospers, you'll prosper. Babylon? Babylon. And then he goes on and he said, don't believe the prophets that tell you you're going home. You're not going home. Don't believe those prophets. You're stuck here in Babylon. It'll be over in 70 years, but you'll be dead in 70 years. So don't believe that. Settle down. Build houses, live for God, be a blessing right where you are. And don't listen to the voices that tell you that you're getting out of Babylon because you're not getting out of Babylon. And so usually, usually the appeal will be it's a shortcut or an easy route. The, the false prophets were, also, were, were often trying to give good reports when the true prophets were prophesying impending disaster. And they're giving good reports, but God's word is in disasters coming. I don't want to hear that. Give me somebody that will tell me disaster's not coming. Give me somebody who's going to tell me. No, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah was disaster's coming. Stay here, stay here, stay here. The other ones were, we get, you're getting out of it. You're getting out of it. It'd be great. Wouldn't it be great to have shortcuts? They're so appealing. I, I would love to be able to come up to the altar have some people pray for me, and all of a sudden I would become an absolute, perfect, unconditionally loving human being. I would leave from here, and I would just love everybody unconditionally forever and evermore. Never again to have a harsh word, never again to think something cynical, never just always just, just, just loving everybody because I went to the altar, somebody put oil on my head, and now I'm a perfectly loving person. It'd be great, but God is making me into a loving person. And he's doing it the hard way. 
<laughs> but I'm not sure if it's the hard way or maybe the only way. The only way. Why are these people in my life? One of my favorite characters in the Bible. Because I have these people in my life. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is a guy named Shimei. Shimei, he's living in David's time. And King David, he gathers together all of these guys who are in debt, all of these guys who are crazy. And uh, man, he's got, a, he's got a wild bunch. And David is walking down the road, and this guy Shimei, he's up on the road above him, and he's taking dirt and throwing it on him. Just throwing the dirt at David. Why would you throw dirt on He's throwing dirt on David. And one of David's guys, one of David's mighty men, he said, David, you want me to go up there and take his head off or what? You know what David said? He said, no, maybe the Lord wants him to throw dirt on me. Maybe the Lord wants him to throw dirt on me. Maybe he's God's gift to me. Maybe the way that I'm going to become a loving human being, maybe the way I'm going to become what I need to become is that I'm going to have people in my life that just plain irritate me constantly. And that becomes God's gift to me. Cuss away. <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a shortcut to patience? But then it wouldn't be patience anymore, would it? It couldn't be. You, it's impossible to have a shortcut to patience because it wouldn't be patience. It's a perseverance. And so these guys, you know, the way that they operate is they operate secretly. They operate secretly. They have secrets. I can tell you a story with me because um, early in my Christian experience, I didn't know anything about Bible-believing churches. Nothing, not a thing. My wife, she grew up in a Bible-believing church underneath the pew. Um, so she, you know, she acclimated me to, to church. But I ended up, we ended up, I ended up bringing her into, into a group that was rather authoritarian and that used prophecies and that was cultic. They believed the right things about Jesus, but they didn't believe the right things about the way that Christianity was practiced. It was cultic. And, uh, and at least through my journey, I've had several experiences with things like that. And uh, we had one experience where we were in a conference where there was a prophet. This guy was amazing. Never seen anything like it. We were in there, probably a thousand people. We, we were there with some friends, pastors of pastor's conference. And um, this guy was on the platform calling out people by name, by name, and then giving them words about their future. It was unbelievable. First, I was skeptical. I was like, how is he doing this? Like, this can't, be, this can't be real. And then he called out the name of one of the people that I came with. Called out his name. And then told him something about his life. And told him what was going on. I think he might have told his name in his town. And I was like, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I found out later from the guy that organized the conference. He said, you know what that guy did? What he did was he took the registrations of everybody that was coming. And, he wanted, to, and he, he wanted all the registrations so he could go to his hotel room and throw them on his bed so he could lay on his bed and pray for all the people at the conference. You know what he did? He just took names. Just took names. Just took names. And that guy turned out to be immoral. First church that I was part of, there was a guy. He had amazing testimony. This guy was from the Irish Republican Army. He was a terrorist. And what a testimony he had. 
and, and my pastor took him around from church to church and people would get saved. My pastor would give invitations after this guy would tell his story, how he came to Christ and how he you know, was a terrorist. And, and you know what? My pastor, he noticed that when he brought him from place to place, that there were inconsistencies in the story. And so he started to try to put it together and he did some research and uh, he confronted the guy and the guy said, no, nah, I was never in the Irish Republican Army and I never was a terrorist. And he said to him, what happened? The guy said, the story gets better with the telling. The story gets better with the telling. You start to tell one story. You know, he had leanings that way. You know, that's who, who he would have been with. You know, and so he starts to tell the story after he gets converted, and his story just gets better and better and better and better and better. I noticed that with my testimony, because I, I tell a joke in my testimony where, you know, because I was homeless and I, I slept under bridges. And so I, I say, so sometimes when I go under an underpass, I get homesick. Well, I don't get homesick going under an underpass. It's just the story gets better with the telling. You just get to know how to tell a story better. And so, and so this guy just built and built and built and built and built on it until it became false, totally false. Why did people get saved? People got saved because the power of the gospel is the power of the gospel, even if somebody who is fake is telling it. The guy was exposed, thank God. But it, but it was deception. I told everybody about this guy. You've got to hear this guy. Come here, this guy. I was listening to a guy online who he said that he was having these meetings. He said the power of God was so powerful in the building that the power of God came and it actually shut the electricity off. It just, just went off. It was more powerful than the electricity in the room. Now, that guy was talking about a, a building where a guy who used to be an associate pastor in this church was an associate pastor in that church. And so I contacted him. I said, did the power go off in your church the other day with a meeting? He said, no, I don't know why that guy's saying that. He said, we're hearing all about it. It didn't happen. Well, great story. And it says here that these guys tell these stories with these puffed up minds. And people love those stories. I like that story. Whoa, the power went off. It's amazing. Well, the power was off and the, the heat was off in here this morning. So I don't know what that means, you know, like, uh, <laughs> that was cold though, you know what I mean? So it doesn't work. So in greed we trust you. See, it says in their greed, these teachers exploit you. Greedy for what? Greedy for money? Maybe. Maybe. But, but doesn't every human being have the same basic needs? God made you with these needs, and you won't be fulfilled until these needs are met in your life. You need somebody to love you. You need significance in your life. You need value. You need attention. You know, you don't have to be a PhD in psychology to understand that people want attention and that people need to be loved, and unloved people have reactions. You know, if you... If you play it right, your false teaching and your false prophecy, you get all of this. You get attention. You get value. You see, my pastor brought that guy over, brought him over the pond, brings him over here, brings him place to place, you know, eating dinners, taking offerings, significance. Wow, amazing. 
You know, the only story I have is, you know, I got to bring the guy in the cubicle next to me to church. He didn't come to Christ, but he came to church. That guy, wow. Love and money. And money. Well, they exploit you. You can get all of those things from God. Talks about their destruction, but I don't want to read about their destruction. You can just read about it. It's pretty wild. But, you know, they can repent. You know, the guy, the false teacher with my pastor, he, uh, he repented. He repented. Verse 18, it says that they offer you freedom, but they themselves are slaves. They're slaves to a lie. Slaves to a lie. So um, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain, shows us what's really going on. Two-faced people. And I could tell you story after story after story after story. I don't know how. I don't know how I got involved in so many of those things. <laughs> oh, I know so many of those people have been in so many of those meetings, heard so many of those things. So what do you do? Do you give up on it completely? No, not at all. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul, he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, don't treat prophecies with contempt. You know, it says that prophecy is for the building up for edification. God still speaks. God still heals. God is still present. God is still real. God is still does miracles. God still saves terrorists. All of that is true. It's just that that guy wasn't a terrorist. <laughs> he wished he was a terrorist, but he wasn't. He wished he was a revolutionary, but he wasn't. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So is it legal for you spiritually to question the Apostle Paul? Sure. Absolutely. You're encouraged to. You're encouraged to question everything. Because God's truth can stand up to anything. Is, is it okay for you to question what comes from this pulpit? No, it's not. No. <laughs> of course it is. You should. It's your spiritual obligation when you hear things to check that out. And isn't it wonderful now that when something rolls across here, you can just go... I'll let you know in about three minutes <laughs> whether that's true or whether that isn't true. But people are good. People are good at deception and they get better at it. So this is a tough chapter. This is a tough word. But, but get this, that outsiders are seeing it when we're not. Isn't that amazing? And so I wonder what's going on. I wonder who we're listening to. I wonder what we're doing. I wonder. We need to just be people that love. My friend, a friend who died of COVID. Unbelievable, really. Um, he was at my house. He called me up. He said, I don't think I'm coming. He called me up. I don't think I'm coming over this week. <clears throat> I got to go. Uh, I think I'm going to go get one of them tests. That was the last I heard from him. I'm going to go get one of those tests. Guy was a rabid evangelist. Rabid evangelist, leading people to Christ all, all over the place. You know, again, I said, it at, I said it at his funeral. I said it here last week. 
that people are always looking for the deeper things, right? Always looking for more. Always looking for something else. And one of, one of my mentors who had experiences like Peter, who was a leader in one of the greatest revivals that America has ever seen, the Jesus movement. This guy was in it when people were coming to Christ like crazy. He told me that he remembers baptizing people for three straight hours with other pastors in the water, seven other pastors, just baptizing people. He said, you'd go home in pain from baptizing people. Seen all kinds of things, miracles, amazing things happening. And he sat with this little group of pastors, and he said, people are always looking for the deeper things, always looking for something more. He said, the deeper things are the simple things profoundly experienced over and over again over the course of a lifetime. I'll say it again. The, the, the deeper things are the simple things experienced profoundly over and over again over the course of a lifetime, the seasons of your life. And I didn't get it. I was like, Ken, like what? What are you talking about? Like calling out people by name? What are you, what are you talking about? He said, like, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Experiencing that the first time you experience it. Experiencing it when you're sick experiencing it at the, at, at the death, of, at, your, at your child's funeral, experiencing it when you're facing death. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Girl gets in the car. You know that God loves you? Why would you say that? Because God loves you, I want you to know that. You know, I told God that if he didn't do something in my life today, I was going to kill myself. Simple things, the simple things, rescuing, rescuing the perishing. We gave an invitation, <laughs> right, Nancy, uh, online, online this morning with three people, three people responded to the invitation to come to Christ. Online. You know what that is? That's the foolishness of the world to confound the wise. Because why in the world would that even work? And then all the technical problems we have, you know, the thing, you know, and you, you watch, you're, you're watching somebody teach the Bible and the, the thing starts spinning, zzz, yeah. you know, trying to get down there. People saying, I can't hear, it's spinning, you know, and, and God works through all of that. It's the simple things. It's the foolish things that confound the wise. Talk about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. You have no idea. One more story. Sorry, I'm going long. Um, Todd Foster. Anybody ever hear Todd Foster? Probably not. Todd Foster passes in New Haven. And um, a friend of mine, Justin Kendrick. Anybody ever hear Justin Kendrick? City Church? Justin and I, good friends. We, um, we used to do camp of worship together. He used to come and do that for us. And um, Justin retold the story. I had heard the story before. Justin was 15 years old. He, um, he went into Todd's church with his dad. Um, he was with his dad because his dad and his mom were split up. And Todd gave an invitation. He prayed at the end, prayer of salvation. He said, pray this prayer with me if you're giving your life to Christ. And Todd didn't know it at the time, but Justin prayed that prayer. And um, Justin is probably, uh, I'm going to say he's probably one of the most successful evangelists in all of Connecticut right now. And God's just, just using the guy's life. He's a 15-year-old kid sitting in, sitting in Todd's meeting sitting there with his dad because his mom don't go to church because he's divorced. Who knows? 
Who knows what in the world is going on? And I'll tell you what, Justin, I don't think there's any end in sight for that guy. I mean, like, God is just, God is just blessing that guy. He is, he is, he is, he is after putting a congregation in every major city in uh, New England. Last year, his vision was to, to, to plant like eight churches in Boston in one year. But COVID stopped, but it's not going to stop him. So, um, so, Lord, here we are. Here we are to worship. Here we are before you. And, and if you are online and uh, you want to come to Christ, you want your sins forgiven, you want to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, who died for you, nothing you can do, he did everything for you, then write forgive. Write forgive right now. Type it in, forgive. And if you're in this room, then surrender to Jesus and go onto our website right now on your phone or later on today in where it says, I'm following Jesus, put the information in there that you're following Jesus. And so uh, may the Lord use you to see lives transformed. May the Lord use you to see people come to Christ. May the Lord use you in your circles. May he use you right where you are, just bringing somebody to the church. You don't know who's suicidal. You don't know what families are going through divorces. You don't know what's going on with people. You don't know how empty people are. Even people who look the strongest are many times the ones that are hurting the most. And so may the Lord use you and use us this season, this year, to see people come to Christ every single week. And so may the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he make his face shine upon you, may he give you peace. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. And, um, and we love being with you. It's just amazing what the Lord does and what the Lord allows. So peace, peace, peace. Let's uh, close with this song.